Well, some of our more astute viewers may have noticed that uh, I've been out for a little while. Turns out my wife Natasha and I spent a little over two weeks in the Wuhan weight loss clinic. Uh, I lost 16 pounds, so I guess I can't say that the Chinese Communist Party never did anything for me, but, you know, it would have been nice if they'd you know, asked me in advance. But when I was finally able to eat again after an eight-day break, and by the way, like most Americans, the longest I go without eating is usually eight hours, and that's a bit of a stretch. After eight days of, of not eating anything, when I started to recover, I noticed something that I'd heard about but never really experienced before. I noticed that all of the food that I had and all of the drinks that I'd had in the refrigerator the whole time that I was sick, I couldn't eat anymore because there was so much sugar in the food. Not just in the drinks, not just in the grape juice, in things like, I don't know, my all-time favorite chicken sandwich, for example. Now, just hold it right there because I know what you're thinking. 15 days of fever have cooked Bill's brain. He's criticizing uh, sugar, which is that close to outright communism. But just so you have my bona fides, I'm the kind of kid who grew up on Count Chocula breakfast cereal in chocolate milk with a little sprinkling on sugar on top just to kind of push it along a little bit. But of course, back in those days, uh, I would immediately finish that bowl of Count Chocula, and then I would get on my bike, which was a chopper, and you can tell it was a chopper because it said chopper right on it, and go out and ride that bike for about, oh, I don't know, four or 5,000 calories or so. Just a little bit before I got sick, I saw some ads on YouTube for a, a guy named Dr. Stephen Gundry who talked about the fact that my parents' generation, the greatest generation, were slim throughout their entire lives. They ate spare ribs and they ate whatever the hell they wanted, cherry pie. They were never on any diets and they weren't obese. Why is that? Dr. Gundry says it's because there's no more nutrition in our food. But this is the point I'm about to make here. This isn't about food. This is about business culture. Because for a conservative to criticize business goes against the grain. And by the way, parenthetically, for the rest of this episode, when I say business, I mean big business. I'm not talking about the kind of small business that I own, and that's the backbone of not only prosperity, but freedom. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about big, big corporations. Once I realized how much sugar there was in the food, I realized that these people really don't care about health. They don't care about the onset of type 2 diabetes. They don't care about any of this stuff. They just care about making food so sweet that you just got to keep eating it and health consequences be damned. Now, slightly preceding this uh, mental breakthrough of mine, somebody sent me this. Uh, you can see it's a, it's a fairly extensive treatment program for how to deal with the, uh, with the, you know, the, as Critical Drinker says, the unknown virus of unspecified origin. And this is the first thing they write. This is the introduction. And this really broke open some mental boxes that I'd been living in. The vacuum of truth. The first step is to give up the illusion that the primary purpose of modern medical research is to improve Americans' health most effectively and efficiently. In our opinion, the primary purpose of commercially funded clinical research is to maximize financial return on investment, not health. And that act of, of wacky, uh, nutty witchcraft uh, comes from John Abramson, MD of the Harvard Medical School. Now, the article goes on to say this, we are living through a period of time characterized by a vacuum of truth with misinformation, disinformation, blatant lies, censorship, and nefarious intentions being the order of the day. It's difficult to dissect the actual truth and discern who to trust. Furthermore, 
It's no longer controversial to acknowledge that drug makers rigorously control medical publishing and that The Lancet, the New England Journal of Medicine, and the Journal of the American Medical Association are utterly corrupted instruments of pharma. It's a generalization, but it's a fair one to say that for whatever reason people have the opinions that they have, as a general rule, pretty consistent general rule, conservatives will tend to defend big business because it's a business, because it's competition, because you're providing value, because there's no coercion. It's a voluntary exchange of money. If there's too much sugar in the food I'm eating, that's my fault. I just don't have to pay them. Nobody's forcing me to. Conservatives defend business. Progressives hate business. They defend government. They defend government because they feel like they have to have somebody who can protect them, somebody who can take money from some people and give it to them and so on and so forth. Conservatives don't like big government. Progressives don't like big business. And big government and big business have been natural enemies in this country, certainly as long as I've been alive and certainly for longer than that as well. Big government is constantly trying to tax and regulate big business. Big business is constantly trying to put products on the market without interference on the part of big government. And because progressives have been so unfair in their criticism, not only of just big business, but of businesses in general, you know, the idea that executives just fall asleep on a pile of gold, you know, and, 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 and all the rest of this stuff. I have reflexively defended business because if it comes to business or government, I'm on the side of business. Now, for most of the time that this has been going on, there's been actually a pretty good balance. Big business and big government, natural enemies constantly fighting each other. And in the middle of these three is the press. At least this is how it's supposed to be and how it used to be. The press is the referee between these two forces, big business and big government. The press investigates violations of big government, like, oh, I don't know, you found an underage prostitution ring? Can we find out the name of the politicians who were involved in that? Be kind of useful. That's the value of the press in terms of investigating the government. Watergate, another good example. The press is also supposed to be looking into big business like Enron. I don't have to go into that either because there are actual crooks and frauds out there. So in the world that's supposed to be balanced, the world that actually worked, you had big business and big government as natural enemies with the press as the referee, and then something happened. Then something happened. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. It probably preceded the pandemic, but if not, certainly the pandemic was what put it into gear. And here's what happened. Somewhere along the line, big government and big business looked at each other and said, wait a minute, we've been fighting each other for our entire existence. What if we work together? And I would love to have been at that meeting where the big business representatives, let's say from Big Pharma, go in there, and big government representatives, let's say from the FDA or something, go in there, and they say something to the effect of this. The FDA says, hey, you know how we're constantly trying to stop you from going to market with all those drugs and stuff and prevent you from making money and, and making you develop these things for 20 years and then taxing the daylights out of you? Big business says, yes, we remember this quite well. Then big government says, well, what if we stop doing that? And big business says, you mean you would just basically allow us to put products on the market? And then big government says, oh, no, 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 we're actually thinking, what would you think if we were to legally require people to buy your product? What's that again? What would you think 
if we were to use the coercive force that we have as the government, not only to allow people to buy your stuff, but to make them buy it, to force them to buy it. Well, we would we'd make a boatload of money. That's what you want, isn't it? That's good, right? Yeah, yeah, we think that's great. What do you get out of it? The government says we get to tell people what to do. We get to use this product in order to force people to do what we tell them to do. And that's what we're interested in. You're in it for the money. We're in it for the power. And the third party involved in this meeting, the press, who should have reported this meeting immediately to the American people, looks at this and says, well, now, I don't see any way for you guys to be able to do this without controlling the information. And since we like to control the information and the narrative, since we like to present ourselves as the saviors of, self, uh, of civilization, since we know better than the regular people out there what the narrative should be, I think maybe we'll get together and join you on this thing. So instead of big government, big business, at war with the press as a referee, now we have three overlapping Venn diagrams. We have a three-headed monster. We have, as a matter of fact, Cerberus, the three-headed dog of legend that guarded the gates of hell. And if you visualize that as overlapping Venn diagrams, then guess what? Right square in the middle, right square in the overlap between big business, big government, and media narrative, right in the center is this guy. He's all three. We no longer have three things that are in balance, kind of the way our government was designed. Now, we have a single three-headed dog that is determined to take our money, our power, and our information and make sure that essentially there is no more middle class. There will just be the elites holding the leash of Cerberus and peasants. And that's the way they want it. And that's the way it's going. And if we don't realize that these natural enemies aren't fighting each other anymore, to their amazement, on both sides, our amazement, everybody's amazement, somewhere, somehow, somebody woke up and said, why are we fighting each other? Think of what we could do if we work together. You make all the money you want. You could have all the power you want. You get to say whatever you want, determine whatever narrative you want. Perfect. Perfect. It's a three-headed dog that guards the gates of hell.